All right, good morning, everyone. How's everyone doing? All right, good. Some goods out there. Well, hey, my name is Steve, and if we haven't met before, um, my name's Steve. There, so there you go. And um, I'm on staff here, and I help out with Give It Away. Give It Away is how we share the message and story of Jesus with our world and our community. And on that note, just when you thought announcements were over, we have one more special announcement, okay? So I want to invite my buddy Patrick up. And today is, before we get into this, uh, this series, I want to do this special announcement. Um, there's something that's been in the works for a little while now, and it involves our buddy Patrick, and involves one of our ministries, our partnerships in Mexico, okay? So if you don't know, we have a partnership in Mexico. It's an organization called Shoulder to Shoulder, and they do a lot of really good work with uh, sharing the gospel with uh, the people of Mexico and Mazatlan, and they do a lot of kind of like uh, construction projects and uh, re relief type things like that. They partner with a lot of local churches, and so the point is, Patrick is, hey, Pat, say hi to everyone. Hey, everybody. Hey, <laughs> everybody. All right. So now you know Patrick, right? And so um, he is going in February for six months as like an internship. So we're kind of like sending him off, like uh, kind of like a missionary send off in a way to the six month internship that he's doing. He's um, packing up his things, uh, stopping doing what he's doing here and going right to Mexico. And so we just want to celebrate that and invite the whole church into that, okay? So Patrick, let's do some questions, okay? And yeah. so it's the last service, so this is gonna be good, all right? And so tell us, tell us why, why missions? Why missions? So um, one day, like all of you, I was just at a service sitting here and um, me and my friend, uh, we were here together and we saw a interest meeting to go to Mazatlan, Mexico on a mission trip. And uh, neither one of us really had ever been interested in missions or involved in missions. and. We just kind of saw that and we were like, let's, let's just at least go check it out and see what it's all about. So we went to the meeting and uh, we saw, you know, things that we were going to be doing down there and how we were going to be involved. And uh, we decided to go on that trip and um, it ended up being like a life-changing trip for both of us, I would say. It's awesome, man. So why Mexico specifically and what are you going to be doing down there? So Mexico specifically, when I went on the trip to Mazatlan, um, I really got to see like the heartbeat of Mexico and the people of Mexico and what what God was doing down there and it just it inspired me to like want to go back down there and be a part of what's going on there. So when I go there, I will be um, enrolled in Spanish classes and biblical studies um, and I'll be doing um, maintenance to the facility where I'll be staying shoulder to shoulder as Steve mentioned. Um, and I'll also be involved in a program called Embrace, where they're building um, homes for widows in the community of Mazatlan. Um, and I'll be helping to lead like the construction teams that come down there for those projects. Dude, it's awesome. Thanks, man. And so what, do you have any, like, any encouragement to anyone who is like maybe interested in missions, just not sure? Yeah, so if you're, if you're interested in missions or you think you might be, first off, I would say just, um, Pray about it. Ask God maybe where or how he could use you, whether it's um, here in the United States or somewhere else globally. Um, and then just maybe take a, take a step of uh, interest and go to a meeting just like I did and, and see, see what it's all about. And then maybe you just take a leap of faith and uh, go on a trip and uh, see, see what you could do in missions and how God could use you. Awesome, man. Well, hey, uh, I want to invite the whole church in this, right? And so maybe you can share with us, like, how can we pray for you and how can we be supporting you? Just um, as I'm getting ready to go, I'm leaving uh, February 1st. Just pray for, pray for me um, 
that God will use me in Mexico in, in any way that he can. Um, just pray for my safety and health while I'm there. Um, pray for the people of Mexico. Um, I know God's doing a lot of things down there. Just, just pray for them. And uh, if you want to support me, I made a GoFundMe. And uh, you can just search Patrick Valentine to find that. And I, I swiped his picture from there. So this is Patrick in action, all right? So that's Patrick Valentine, this guy right here. And he's a beast. I don't know if you know what he's doing. He is lifting up these uh, things of concrete. And he's on top of a roof, putting a concrete roof down. So he's legit, y'all. Okay, this is legit. So that's the stuff he's going to be doing. I mean, look at this. He's good. So that, <laughs> that's like a, I love embarrassing him. All right. Um, so what we want to do, we just want to um, take time to celebrate that and just invite the church into that. And so if you wouldn't mind, we're just going to pray for Patrick right now if you want to join us in that, okay? All right. Well, Lord, God, thank you that you are God on mission. Uh, thank you that you loved us so much that you would come and, and be with us. God, thank you for Patrick and just the, the heart and the passion you've given him for a mission and to want to uh, take that passion and, and, and bring it out in reality to going to Mexico, to stopping what he's doing here and to go to Mexico in obedience to you and to, to love the people in Mexico, to learn the language and learn um, some more biblical theological stuff and to just be there to serve for the six months. And God, we pray for that journey, just like um, he asked us to pray for, we pray for uh, his safety as he's doing construction work and things down there. We pray for his effectiveness in ministry and that he would be a blessing to um, our partner and to the things that are already happening, things you're already doing in Mexico. God, we just wanna celebrate that. And as, as a church, we just wanna bless that and send him and say, um, this, this is something we bless and it's good. And so thank you for Patrick. God, be with him and help us to um, all get on board with like loving and supporting him through our prayers even. So we pray that in Jesus' name, amen. All right, thanks, brother. We'll give this guy a hand. Awesome. Thank you. All right, well, um, I don't know any better way to transition other than like reading a uh, child's storytelling book, okay? So you might be wondering, why are you so weird, Steve? And I don't know, I'm just am. So, uh, but this, I, I promise you, this is gonna directly relate to the series that we've been in, the series that we've been in called You Are Here. And so has anyone ever seen this storybook before? Okay, it's the Jesus Storybook Bible. Okay, one of you, great. Well, this is good, okay? If you have kids, get this book, okay? If you have relatives or someone that you know that's younger than you, like, get this book, read it to them. It's amazing, I promise you. We're gonna read it together, okay? So this is like the first part of that book, and it's so good. It talks, uh, as you'll see, it's gonna talk to the series we've been in. It's gonna get us to our talking point for today as well. So it goes like this. Now, some people think the Bible is a book of rules telling you what you should and shouldn't do. The Bible certainly does have some rules in it. They show you how life works best. But the Bible isn't mainly about you and what you should be doing. It's about God and what he has done. Other people think the Bible is a book of heroes showing you people you should copy. And the Bible does have some heroes in it. But as you'll soon find out, most of the people in the Bible aren't heroes at all. They make some big mistakes, sometimes on purpose. They get afraid and run away. At times, they are downright mean. No, the Bible isn't a book of rules or a book of heroes. The Bible is most of all a story. It's an adventure story about a young hero who comes from a far country to win back his lost treasure. It's a love story about a brave prince who leaves his palace, his throne, everything, to rescue the one that he loves. It's like the most wonderful of fairy tales that has come true in real life. You see, the best thing about this story is it's true. Let's lock into this last part here. It says, there are lots of stories in the Bible, 
but all the stories are telling one big story. The story of how God loves his children and comes to rescue them. All right, so this is like what we've been saying, that it's all, all the Bible stories, in this, all, all the stories in the Bible lead to one big story. And we've talked about a bunch of these stories, all right? In this series, we talked about God creates, we rebel, God promises, all of these things, and all of them connect to one main narrative, and it's about Jesus. It's about his story. And so today, we're going to continue in those stories, and we're going to talk about the Son rescues. So we're going to talk about Jesus. We're going to talk about him being the son, Jesus who rescues. And so what's awesome about this is we're going to be talking about Jesus' death and resurrection. Okay, so if you guys were here for Christmas, we talked about his birth, and this goes right in now to his death and resurrection, about him being the main storyline, him being the son who rescues. Okay, so we're going to jump around the Bible just a little bit. And so if you have a Bible, would you join me in 1 Corinthians 15? If you don't have a Bible, we have some for you. They're underneath your seats. You can go to page 801 there. Or however you want to get to the Bible, we'll have it on the screen for you. But we're going to be in 1 Corinthians 15. And so as you're getting there, I want to also uh, mention that something we often mention at Grace Church. And we realize that not everyone here that comes into our services center their lives around Jesus. And that's okay, we're so glad you're here. Not everyone is like that. Some of us may think that Jesus is a neat moral teacher, he's another one of the Bible heroes, or some cool movement leader in history. Some of us, maybe we do center our lives around Jesus. No matter where you're at with Jesus in those ways, there's something different about him. There's something different that we have to lock in on. There's something important about Jesus. There's problems in this world that only Jesus has solved and that no other Bible hero, no other person in our history has the ability to solve either. There's a message, an influence, a rescue mission that I would argue is greater than any other mission than any other human has had, whether dead or alive, than Jesus and his mission We'll talk about that. And so what's the difference between Jesus and others or what is so important with Jesus? I think Paul tells us here. In 1 Corinthians 15, verse 1, Paul says, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, this is what's in first importance. This is the gospel right here. That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. That he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. So this is the gospel. It's the most important thing ever, I would argue. Whether you believe in Jesus or not, wherever you're at with that, we have to make a decision to say, is this real? And if it is real, if Jesus really did do this in accordance to the scriptures, then that changes everything. That changes everything about our life. That has so many implications with our life. If this is true, if this is real, that Jesus lived, that he died for our sins according to scripture, that he was buried and literally raised from the dead and is alive even now here and with us. So to be fair, I'm, making, I'm gonna start out with making a pretty strong assumption here. And we know what happens when you make assumptions, all right? Don't finish that line, but we know what happens, right? And so I'm assuming here that you believe that the scripture really is the word of God, okay? I'm just operating under that assumption, that you really believe that the word of God is real, it's true, that Jesus did historically live, die, and raise again. 
And if you're someone and you're here today and you're like, well, I just don't know if I'm there yet. I don't know if I, I haven't really grappled with that yet. I would encourage you, please check out our equipping division, okay? Shameless plug right here. March 10th is coming up with a couple of new courses or a new set of our same courses that we've had. And so I would encourage you, even now, get out your phone, sign up for What is the Bible? And we talk a lot about some of that stuff there, okay? So if that's you, if you're like still wrestling with this, I would encourage you, check out that course and we'll talk about kind of the, the data, the history behind the scripture and, and all of that, all right? Because here's the thing. And this is our first point today. It's that what we have been saying over this whole series, again, I'm going to keep saying it, that Jesus is the Bible story. He is the center of it. And not only that, but Jesus is God's rescue story. Jesus is God's rescue story. So ever since Genesis, ever since we're told that um, sin entered the world, we rebelled against God, we're attached from him God has initiated this rescue plan, this rescue story to bring us back to right relationship with him. And that story is all about Jesus, okay? This story isn't just isolated to the New Testament, all right? The story is found all throughout the scripture, all throughout the Old Testament even. This is what it's all about. And so, for example, we can go to Isaiah. There's other places we can go, but Isaiah, and you don't have to go there. This is like homework for you, okay? You can read Isaiah 52 to 53. If you haven't in a while, I would encourage you. It's awesome. Read it. But in the meantime, with the time we have today, I found this helpful kind of diagram that kind of uh, shows you some of the predictions in Isaiah and how Jesus is the one who has fulfilled those. So this is from JewsForJesus.org. This right here on this side is Isaiah predicting that this servant, someone, the servant, the suffering servant would do these things, would be about these things. And we can see that 700 years later, this person, Yeshua, which that's just Hebrew for Jesus, and it literally means he rescues, to deliver, to save. And so even his name embodies that idea that the son rescues. So let's check it out. Isaiah's prediction of this servant this person would be disfigured by suffering. We see that um, Jesus was struck on, struck down, spat on, mocked. That this person would come from humble beginnings. And we know that Jesus grew up in Nazareth, a city where, uh, with very poor reputation. It's not where the Messiah or the king or this person was expected to come from. We see that this person would be rejected by many. So Matthew states that while on the cross, Jesus was mocked, blasphemed, reviled, even by those who were crucified with him. This person would bear our sins and suffer in our place. And so Peter talks about how Jesus himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By Jesus' wounds, you have been healed. Said so that Jesus, this person would heal many. We see that Jesus healed many. There's many stories of Jesus healing. We see that this person would voluntarily take our punishment upon himself. And John says that Jesus says that he is the good shepherd. Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd. I have laid my life down for others, for the sheep. We're told that this person would remain silent during his suffering. And we see that Jesus did not defend himself to Herod, to Pontius Pilate, the Sanhedrin, the people that were putting him in this execution. And we see that this person will ultimately die. This person would die. Jesus, he died on a cross, as we see. This person would also be buried, but not just buried, buried with a rich man. And we're told that Jesus was buried in Joseph's tomb, who was a rich man who had this investment in this large tomb. And then finally, this person, the suffering servant, would not remain dead, but his, see his seed, prolong his days, and be exalted. And so Jesus, we know he rose from the dead 
three days after the crucifixion and still lives today. And millions of people see themselves as his spiritual seed. All right, so we can see that there's, other, there's probably other places we can go to, but in Isaiah alone, it kind of helps us show that Jesus is not just an isolated rescue plan to the New Testament, it's all over scripture. He's part of God's plan from the beginning. And if you're like me, I forget the importance of this all the time. I forget the ridiculousness of a man who is God leaving heaven's space to be down in our space, to, to live with us, to meet us where we're at, to die for us in our situation, and to raise again with us, to be with us forever. There's huge implications if we believe that for our lives. See, this isn't just a story for Easter. See you in a few months. We'll talk about it then. It's a story for you and for me now. It's a story for us to have, to show us his life even now and for the life of other generations to see that too. And that's because, and here's the second point, okay? Jesus is inviting us into God's rescue story. So it's not just Jesus's, uh, it's not just God's story in Jesus. Jesus is also inviting us into this rescue story, us into the story of the scripture, into the main narrative like we've been talking about. He's inviting us into that. So last weekend, um, I'm doing some Christmas stuff. I'm with a family, okay? My, my mom's side of the family, we're doing Christmas stuff. And um, uh, <laughs> Merry Christmas, by the way. If we didn't see you during Christmas services, Merry belated Christmas, so there you go. But last week, I'm doing the, the family Christmas stuff, and um, all my family is downstairs, and I'm upstairs eating food, because that's what I do. And so my cousin comes in, and uh, she comes in with a, with a guy, all right? And so I'm like, oh, who's this guy? Like, that's a pretty big deal. He's like, bring the guy to the family thing. Like, you're locked in, right? So she's bringing this guy, and I'm like, well, I'm going to talk to him. I'm going to try to make him feel comfortable, which I, I know I'm an awkward person, so that might have helped or not helped. I don't know yet. But I was like, I'm going to try to make him feel comfortable. So I talked to this guy. I'm like, hey, how's it going, man? Can I get you some food? Can I get you something to drink? Can I introduce you to people? And he's like, you know, man, like, and he's cool. He was being vulnerable. He's like, he's like I appreciate it. I, I probably will. I am hungry, but I have like the butterflies right now. So I'm going to wait a little bit and, and see. You're kind of awkward. I'm like, I know, I get it. And he's like, I'm going to wait it out and feel it out. And I'm like, well, dude. Just so you know, like, you got the invite, right? He's like, yeah. I'm like, you're, you're in. You're here, man. Like, feel free. Like, eat our food. Drink our drink. Like, throw fake snowballs at our kids, okay? Seriously, it'll be fun. And so I'm like, dude, you're in. Like, join us. Like, you can feel comfortable. You, the invite was for you. You're in. And so, of course, I tell that story so I can over-spiritualize it right now, right? And so this is how I want to interact. This is how I think Jesus wants to interact with you and me. Like, the invite is for you. Right? Come on, you, the invite's there. Join in on this rescue story. Join in on this. The invite's for you. Come and see. Come and see for yourself. You are invited. Let's go. This is awesome. Okay, so like the church, for example, it's like a big family, you know, where like uh, we have some awkward people, we have some awkward traditions, right? It's okay. Our, our life groups are awkward if you go there for the first time, but you'll get used to it. Just come and check it out, right? It'll be fun. And so the invite is there. And so I would just say for anyone here, if you're, if you're not a follower of Jesus, that invite for sure is for you and for me. I'm not asking, and the thing about this, I'm not asking you to believe 100% that, hey, you have to believe that Jesus rose and died. You have to believe everything Jesus said. No, I mean, we'll get there. But the invitation from Jesus is to come and see. The invite is to participate, to see what Jesus is all about for yourself. Like, go to the equipping division, understand it, right? I don't know if Jesus would say that, but sounds good, right? Go to the equipping division, learn about this. Like, learn what being a follower of Jesus is like. 
Not like come adhere to some theology. You know, we'll get there, but just come and see what it is about. So often in the Bible, Jesus says that. He says, come and see. Come and find out for yourself that he is real and that it is good. And so for those that are followers of Jesus, the invite into the story, the invite into God's rescue story is also an invite into our own death and crucifixion, in our own life and resurrection. And I know that sounds a little odd and maybe even morbid and weird. You're like, what are you talking about? Let me try to explain it because I think Paul brings up this point in 2 Corinthians. So just jump over a little bit. If, you're, if you were in 1 Corinthians, just scoot over a little bit to 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 4, verse 7 through 12. And I think Paul brings up this really interesting point about how we can have, about the implications of Jesus' death and life and how we participate in that. For those that are followers of Jesus, how we can participate in that and what that looks like. So in verse 7, he starts off and he says this, But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to the death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Okay, so there's uh, kind of a lot here. Let's break it down just a little bit further. Let's hone in on this, this kind of weird phrase, this, but we have this treasure in jars of clay. Okay, so what is that? What's this treasure in jars of clay? What's he talking about here? Well, the verse just before this that we didn't read, it talks about how followers of Jesus are to be lights in the darkness. Maybe you've heard that language before, that followers of Jesus are to be lights in a dark world, to show Jesus in those ways. And then it says that we have this treasure, but we have this treasure in jars of clay. That treasure is the light. So think of like a jar of clay. Okay, we have this jar of clay. It's kind of like relating it to us, and inside is the light. Okay, so for followers of Jesus, we're this jar of clay, and inside we have the light of Jesus to give to the world. And so jars of clay in that day, much like today, they're, they're fragile, okay? Not only were they fragile, but they had to be broken up to access the treasure inside. They had to be broken to be useful to others. So the same is true for those that follow Jesus. We need to allow Jesus to break through our normal way of life for a better one one that brings forth light, one that brings forth life for others. And it's got me thinking this whole thing about being afflicted and crushed, this weird jars of clay with the light in it thing, it got me thinking of something really interesting, and it's like kind of a technique, and some people think of it as like a philosophy. And so it's this thing called kintsugi. Anyone ever heard this before? Just me. All right. Well, hey, learning time, okay? So kintsugi, it's Japanese for golden joinery. Okay, everyone say kintsugi. Kintsugi. All right, we're all speaking Japanese. Very good. So basically, here's the idea. You got this cup, okay? Oh, my cup's broken. All right, this is like your favorite cup or bowl, whatever that might be, and your cup or bowl gets broken. And like, you have some decisions to make. You're like, what do I do with this cup? Like, do I throw it away because I'm mad that my cup is broken? Do I try to like glue it myself and figure that out? 
or do I use the kintsugi method, okay? And so the kintsugi method takes something like this, something broken, and transforms it, okay? I don't know what that was, but we'll work with it. All right, so this is kintsugi. It's transforming this cup, okay? So this concept, this technique of using some kind of compound mixed with like gold dust or something like that to um, adhere all those pieces back together, to transform it into something useful again, to make it maybe even prettier than it was before, okay? So this is pretty cool. It's like, it's like it was this thing, it was the broken thing, and now it's this thing with the gold. And so it's transforming that, okay? And so this kintsugi, this idea, let me, maybe to help even further, um, this is an interesting description I'm gonna show you of what kintsugi is and how people kind of take it from a, tech, uh, a technique to also a philosophy. And they say this, the Japanese art of kintsugi has long inspired many souls in their journey to healing and to embrace their scars and flaws as beauty and strength. It teaches us to honor our imperfections and instead of hiding or being embarrassed about the damage, it teaches us to show them as our virtues. They are signs of what we have been through and that we have not only survived those ordeals but triumphed over them and those scars are signs of victory they are signs of our making, and it is through them that our inner light shines through. So this might be weird, but this description, it reminds me so much of this passage and how God works in and through our brokenness. This apparently is some kind of like Buddhist philosophy as much as it is a technique, but I would argue that they stole this from this passage, this biblical theology that's showing here about this jar of clay and the light inside and how it needs to be broken to be revealed. Also, I was informed that this is the same technique they used in uh, Rise of the Skywalker with R Kylo Ren, okay? This is a spoil-free zone, so I won't go any further, but Google it, it's all right. And so, <laughs> yeah, it's pretty fun. Uh, the problem, though, the problem is that we have to deal with ourselves, all right? Each and every one of us, we have to deal with ourselves. We live with ourselves. We have to deal with ourselves and the many situations that happen around us. And God, he wants to do that with us. He wants to partner with us in our brokenness. He wants to rescue us from our brokenness and make something beautiful, make something useful out of it. See, we're like these jars of clay. We are fragile. We are weak. We're prone to wander, like Isaiah says, like sheep gone astray. We uh, allow temptation of distraction around us to cripple us, and we try to patch things up ourselves or hide the things up that we're broken about. We try to do that without God. So usually we'll look at our brokenness, we'll look at it as a bad thing, right? That's pretty sad. It just looks sad. It's a sad image, right? There's this broken jar of clay, and I'll say this, that it's all clay. I know things are jarring, but everything's going to be all clay, okay? Yeah, you're welcome. Dad jokes. All right. I wasn't going to do it again, but it worked out last time, so there you go. Um, so we, we, often, we often look at our brokenness like this, like this sad, like, like I don't want to show people this, right? And even worse, we may take our brokenness and try to patch it up ourselves, and it looks like this. You're like, oh, man, it's still ugly, right? But I'm like, I know I'm using the analogy way too far here, but that's okay. So we, we try to patch up our own brokenness, right? This is not the kintsugi technique. This isn't beautiful gold stuff and transforming. This is like, oh, I'm trying to, like, we all have this brokenness, but we try to hide it from others. We try to put on this facade of, like, everything's fine. I'm all right, right? And so this passage is telling us that. We are like that jar of clay. We need God to transform us in through our brokenness. 
I love uh, this author, Watchman Nee. He's this Chinese author. I get into him every once in a while. He's got some really good books. And so if you're looking for a book to read, check out Watchman Nee. But he says something interesting. He says that we have to break through our outer man. He calls it our outer man. Or the things that we have not yet died to. The things that we have not yet given over to God. So that our inner man, our spirit, our soul can be used by the Holy Spirit, which is trying to work God's will in and through us and give life to others. So he says this. This is watch me in his, in his book, The Release of the Spirit. He says, the Holy Spirit has not ceased working. He makes sure that one event after another and one difficulty after another come to us. These disciplinary workings of the Holy Spirit have but one purpose, to break our outer man so that our inward man may come through. Yet, there is, yet here's our difficulty. We fret over trifles, we murmur at small losses, and we complain about insignificant things. The Lord is ever finding and preparing a way in order to use us. Yet when his hand slightly touches us, we begin to feel unhappy, even to the extent of quarreling with God and having a negative attitude. Since the time when we were saved, we have been touched by the Lord many times in various ways, all with the purpose of breaking our outward man. Whether we are conscious of it or not, the aim of the Lord is to break the stubborn vessel called the outward man. So for those that have our hope in Jesus, trials that we have, experience, difficulties, um, this idea of like dying to ourself, it's not gonna tear us down. It's gonna be used by God to firm up our faith, to build up our faith in Jesus and to allow that to be displayed to others, to give life to others. So I'm gonna take the analogy even further. It should look like this, all right? And that's on Etsy for 80 bucks, by the way. So there you go. Um, and I'm just like, man, it, it's cheesy, it's corny, whatever. But this is like what it's supposed to be like, right? Our, take our brokenness. God's going to take our broken vessel, our broken jar. He's going to make it beautiful. And he's going to let that, sh that light shine out of it to others. He's going to use that. Our imperfections, they become beautiful, a beautiful testimony of what God is doing or trying to do in and through us. Our dying to self becomes life and light to others. And so the passage goes on, and we're gonna read this again. It goes on to say that we are always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. So to be invited into God's rescue story is to join in on his death and resurrection. I know it sounds weird, but hopefully this is making more sense here in Paul's um, language here. Because this takes death to self. It takes displaying our brokenness to others in community. It takes selflessness on our part. See, the more that we die to self, the more that we give up things to God, the more that we can give life and show the light to others. I think this is what it's like to be an authentic follower of Jesus. And it's not just sitting in our brokenness like that, that sad clay pot and just looking for people to cheer us up all the time. It's exposing our brokenness and the things that we are dying to for the benefit of others, to allow God to work in and through us to let others see Jesus working in and through us. And this isn't just some kind of like weird, like die to myself because what was me, like just die to myself. No, like Jesus went and did that first. 
Jesus modeled that for us. He died for us. It took his death, his crucifixion. Leading up to his crucifixion, he faced trials. He was mistreated by his supposed religious counterparts. He was sent to court by them, rejected by them. We're told that the religious leaders had a choice to make to let Jesus free or let a murderer free. And they said, let the murderer free. So they flogged Jesus. They tortured and beat him. They ripped his clothes off. They made him carry his execution weapon up a hill to, to, to ultimately die on it. So they killed him. And in fact, we're told that it's our sin that killed him. And he could have, we're told that he could have brought down a bunch of angels to like stop this and to wipe clean the state of humanity. But instead, Jesus was quiet. He was patient, just like Isaiah said. He continued the mission set out before him, that rescue plan. And this is the way that he did it. And so when he died and all hope seemed lost, he raised again. With this resurrection, he gave life to so many and is still giving life to those that would believe in Jesus. And so for, for those that follow Jesus, we carry that on. We carry the death of Jesus in us so that the life of Jesus may be known. We live to give ourselves to Jesus' mission so that the life of Jesus may be seen and acquired by others. So I don't know what this looks like for you and your specific situation or for you and your family or the brokenness that you're going through. It might look differently for all of us. Hopefully we're thinking of situations of how that looks. For some of us, it might mean going through our past and saying, can God really use me? Am I really gonna stop my family business and go to Mexico like our buddy Patrick? That's stuff that he's working through. And he's like, man, this is what I'm gonna do to follow after God, to show that to others. And you know, when I was uh, going through this uh, message with my wife, I, I try to get her feedback because she's uh, a lot better at this stuff than me and telling me um, how to do things. And so I love her so much. And she was like, you know, you should share your brokenness with everybody. And I was like, hmm, that's a terrible idea. Like, why would I do that? But I'm gonna do it anyways because my wife is usually right. So, so my brokenness, right? Recently, how God has exposed my brokenness is through me like not realizing that I've never dealt with my past before. And uh, we, it's funny, like sometimes uh, some of our people on staff, they'll joke with me and it's all in good fun. And uh, they'll say something like, Steve, why are you the way that you are? And I'm like, I don't know. I'm just weird. And so I'm trying to figure that out, right? So recently I've been going to counseling. I'm like, I've, I've just never, I don't know what I don't know about myself. I'm like, I need to go to counseling. I remember um, taking some courses in seminary, seminary not too long ago on counseling. I'm like, I was convinced. I'm like, wow, everyone should be in counseling because we're all screwed up, right? We're all broken vessels. But I never took that advice for myself. I feel like God was just working on me saying, take that advice. You need that too. Expose your brokenness. And that's been so helpful. And for me and my wife, like, we've been working on communication and, and parenting. And it turns out parenting is hard work. We have three little kids, five, three, and two, and they're, we love them so much. They're crazy, okay? But it's so good. And we were like, when we got married, we're like, we're going to wait a year to have kids. We waited nine months, and so we're like working through all that, right? And so we're like, man, there's got to be someone who can help us out with that. Instead of like trying to patch things up ourselves like, like we've been trying to, there's, there's good marriages in our church. There's good people that can help us with that. And so we expose that to others. We invite them into that so that we can... Uh, move from that and be lights and give life to others through our brokenness. 
For me, it's trying to eliminate the, the hurry in my life, the consumption that I have in my life. And that's just the start of it, right? We can talk about it all day, but I don't like that stuff. So I'm like, there, there it is. There's some of it, right? I'm a broken vessel. We all are. We all have these cracks in us, these brokenness in us. And I want to die to myself in those things, to allow the spirit to work in and through me in those things so that I can be about God's mission and bringing life to others. Again, I don't know what your situation is. Maybe it's similar. Maybe it's like, maybe I should go see someone. Maybe I should ask for that kind of thing. Maybe it's reconsidering the relationship. Maybe it's pursuing that friendship that you don't want to pursue so that you can share your brokenness and share the life of Jesus with others. Would you pray about that? Would you think about what, what is the brokenness in your life that God is trying to patch up to repair so that you can be useful in the way of showing and giving life to others? Either way, we take the things that crack us, like the broken clay, and we let God use it for his good. So what I can say for sure that this means for all of us is this point here, and this is the last point. Jesus is empowering us to invite others into God's rescue story. Okay, God's rescue story, it's all about Jesus. It's embodied in Jesus. Jesus is inviting us into God's rescue story. We need rescued from our brokenness so that God can transform it. But he's not doing that just for us to hold that for ourselves. He's doing that to empower us, to invite others into that same story. See, it's that simple, but it's actually that complex too. For some of you, the idea of sharing your faith with others or uh, sharing your brokenness with others, that's a form of suffering. <laughs> You're like, why would I do that? I'm going to patch things myself. I'm going to hide this from people the most that I can. And for you, that's a form of suffering. And you leave that up to the outgoing Christians to share that or the people that are paid to do that, right? There's this uh, commentary I was reading by this guy. He said something really interesting to this point in this passage. He says, for the Christian, suffering is not a sign of divine disappointment, but an opportunity to divine engagement. I think that's interesting. This idea of like dying to ourself, um, it's not a divine disappointment as if Jesus is some kind of killjoy in our life. Instead, it's an invitation. It's an opportunity for divine engagement, an engagement in the story, the Bible story, for you to engage in that yourself and for you to help engage others in that rescue story as well. Well, at this point, I, I'm gonna invite the band up. And as they're coming up, I just wanna kind of make this super simple, although um, I am still processing all of this myself. I'm like, whoa, this is gonna take a lifetime to process. And for some of you, this may be new stuff, like thinking of this like jar thing with a treasure in it, like how is this, I don't know what's going on. And so this is gonna take a lifetime of processing. But in the meantime, while we're processing, while we're praying through those things, I wanna to try to make it simple. When we die to ourselves, we produce life, okay? So when we engage in this way in 2 Corinthians, like it's talking about, when we engage in Jesus' death and resurrection, when we die to ourselves, it's going to produce life for us and for others. So how does that look? These are just some of my notes. Just throwing my notes out here for you guys. When we die to self, maybe, and for me, hopefully it looks something like this, that when we do that, we see ourselves as part of that rescue story. We see ourselves as part of that rescue story. We need to come to the realization that well, I, I am broken. I, I, I have been trying to patch that up myself. And Jesus is that rescue story. And he is trying to rescue that, rescue us. We need to realize that we do need rescued from these things. We do need Jesus who bore that on himself for us. 
what we value changes. So maybe the things that you used to value, they're, they're no longer important. You value something different. Maybe for you, it's like, I never really valued prayer before. I kind of just did things on my own. But maybe dying to yourself is like saying, no, prayer is valuable, it's important. I need to talk to and listen to God. I'm gonna die to myself in that way. Maybe it's community. Maybe it's engaging in life group and community and saying, you know, I, I don't like people, but I'm gonna try anyways, right? It's that kind of stuff. How we suffer changes. This one's interesting to me. I, I just can't stop thinking about um, when our Sanyuka friends were here. I don't know if you guys remember. Um, one of our partners in Uganda, uh, they brought, um, there's like 20 of them here for six months, our Sanyuka friends. And there's a lot of things I admire about them, but one thing in particular they would fast like I've never seen before. <laughs> they would, every Wednesday, and I don't know if I'm allowed to tell this because fasting is supposed to be private and all that, but every Wednesday, they were fasting. And then they would oftentimes, like, I would like bring them food and they're like, oh, we're fasting today. And I'm like, oh, I didn't know. And they're like, yeah, we just decided. And I'm like, whoa. Like, these guys are like, they're, they're like, this is awesome. And I never have experienced that before. And I'm like, man, I want that. And then I hear of other things of like intermittent fasting. And I, and I got started looking at that and I'm like, oh, it's not spiritual, it's just a dietary thing. And I don't know what it is about me, but I'm like, and obviously I haven't done it, but I'm like, man, that is, I'm like more willing to do the intermittent fasting for dietary reasons than I am for spiritual, connecting to God reasons. And that's something that I'm like, man, I need to die to self in that way. What I value is gonna change. Or how I suffer might change because not eating is a form of suffering, I'm just saying. All right, our comfort is less important is less important than others' comfort. So when I die to myself, I, I don't just um, think like, how is this gonna get me the things that I need? How is this gonna get me the comforts that I need? Instead, how am I gonna look at the comforts of others? And having kids helps with that because I'm forced to do that. So it's like, man, that's dying to self. Instead of my comforts, how do I look at the comforts of others? Or how do I look at other people's lives as more important than my own? And so hopefully as we do these things, it should produce life. And when that life of Christ is being produced, we're freed from the pressures of our culture, freed from the pursuit of happiness, whatever that means to our culture, this pursuit of gaining stuff or material things to be happy. I've tried that. We're freed from some of those things. Our life is gonna show the importance of life in Jesus. So our brokenness, when we give that to God and he, he mends that, and he transforms that and brings light out of that. That is going to produce life for others to see Jesus' death in life. And we share the gospel with word and deed. So it's easy. Um, when we think about it, it's easy to pray for people. And so we, we've been trying to use this language of like pray for your three. And so it's easy to like pick three people to pray for them. It's a lot harder to like share the gospel with word and deed, right? And so it's like how do we die to ourselves in that, not just pray for people, but to also like share the faith that we have in Christ, share our brokenness with others so that they can hear the message in word and deed. That's gonna produce life for others. And of course, and if you know me, if you're in my life group or you hear me preach every once in a while, I always say this is the answer to everything. And so it enables us to love God, to love others and to make disciples. And this is true. When we die to ourselves, it's gonna produce more love for God, love for others. It's gonna help us in our call to make disciples of all nations. So the only reason that we can do any of this at all is precisely because the son has rescued, takes our brokenness, he rescues us from that, he transforms that. So would you be willing 
to take up the offer that Jesus has for us, for you, to rescue you from your situation, from your brokenness. And would you also take up the challenge of not just being rescued from that, hoarding that for ourselves, but to help others be part of that Bible story as well and carry out his rescue mission. Those are things we should pray for. Let's pray now. Well, Jesus, uh, thank you, Lord, for, for being Lord over our life, for um, not just uh, being this God in the sky who gives us rules or shows us some cool Bible heroes and stuff like that, but God, you came down, you were born as we talked about this last week, but you lived with us. God, you, you died for us. And you didn't just die like some, like any other mo movement leader or anything like that. You raised again. That is what's different about you, Jesus. You raised again, and in it, you gave us the ability to experience that dying to ourself and experience that life for us and to give that life for others. God, that's your rescue plan. God, I thank you that you are that plan. I thank you that you invite us into that rescue plan, God, that invitation for us. God, I thank you that you empower us to share that rescue plan with others. God, we need your help. We need your spirit to move us and to lead and to guide us to share that with others. Would you do that for us, Lord? Would you, as we're, as we're praying, hopefully this week, about these things, about how and what are those things to die to self in that produces life, God, would show us what that looks like. Pray that in Jesus' name, amen.